once in a generation, a giant voice emerges on the scene that speaks for the hopes, the aspirations, the dreams of all the little men everywhere. <laughs> Guess who, gang? Oh, my God, if you don't blow your own thing, nobody's going to blow your own thing for you, right? tonight. Uh, this is a very special uh, evening here on the thing. It's a Queen's Night. Now, I'm sure that excites many of you. I mean, who can hardly wait to hear about Queen's, which is, as you know, is a very exciting part of New York City. And, uh, very <laughs> well, it, yeah, it can be. As a matter of fact, there have been some, a lot of excitement in Queen's from time to time. You, if you've watched the news, you know that Queen's gets in the news a lot. And for those of you who are outside of New York, who do not know that Queens is one, you know, it, it, it's very easy to confuse what I'm about to say, but uh, Queens is not only a state of mind, it's also a geographical fact uh, that Queens is one of the uh, boroughs of Manhattan, or rather of New York. Manhattan is another borough, of course, and uh, it's one of the five, and incidentally the largest of them all. Uh, and for those of you who want to, you know, who wanted to get a philosophical idea of what Queens is, who may not live in New York, Queens is where Archie Bunker lives. No, he really does. That that you know that 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 uh, series, uh, All in the Family, is set in Queens. And you know, when the opening shot comes, you see the house and all that. Well, that's uh, Queens. Uh, do you agree? Right. That's Queens. Now, Archie is not necessarily typical of Queens. Uh, not necessarily, and any more than uh, Bunker is typical of, let's say, your average used car salesman of Rushville, Indiana. Uh, he's a you know symbolic type, but nevertheless, he is from Queens, and he's supposed to be a cab driver. Now, I've uh, anybody who knows New York and who rides around in the back seat of cabs in New York immediately recognizes that this is a Hollywood version of a Queens cab driver. He bears no relationship to any known cab driver from Queens. Uh, <laughs> do you agree with that? Uh, first of all, he's not angry enough. Uh, every every cab driver I know, at certain uh, there's certain things that happen to drivers in this town, cab drivers. Uh, you either become, you don't become philosophical. I've never met a philosophical cab driver, uh, contrary to the movie concept. You know, you always movies where Lloyd Nolan is driving a cab and he becomes philosophical. And you say, I'll tell you what life is about. And uh, they start listening. The Damon Runyon syndrome, that's called. Uh, that's not much to do with the real New York. Uh, cab drivers do tend to get philosophical, but about things that they never really discuss in movies. <laughs> they see a lot of stuff in the back seat. You'd be surprised. Uh, well, maybe you wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, everything is done in cabs. I repeat everything. And so... Uh, Naturally, a cab driver begins to have that sad look around the eye who has seen too much of everything. He rarely laughs. Now, uh, Queens now, getting back to Queens. Uh, Queens, an interesting place. Uh, for those of you who are, again, out of uh, the New York uh, perimeter, maybe you don't know that, uh, that Shea Stadium is in Queens. Uh, this, is a, this is where the Mets play. As a matter of fact, uh, there are people who believe that Archie Bunker made the Mets. 
the Mets are the Mets are really much more of a state of mind than they are an actual ball team, as we found last season. Uh, ball teams win, uh, but uh, the Mets uh, they plotted along. But that didn't make any difference. Two and a half million. Uh, Queens residents, largely Queens residents, plotted out to Shea Stadium with their banners and uh, cheered and hollered when Lindsey Nelson's camera swept around. And if, you, if you've if ever watched a, a, a ball game on, the, uh, on TV, what you see over the center field wall is Queens. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you may not know that they had a lot of arguments about that when that stadium went up. You know that one time the stadium went up during the World's Fair, which is also was held in Queens. And uh, you could see the World's Fair when you sat in the stadium, and you could look out over over the center field wall, and you could see, you know, you could see all the lights from the World's Fair. And at the same time, some guy built a built a big sign outside there. Do you remember the big hassle of the sign? Tremendous sign made out of neon, and you could sit in the stadium and you could see the sign. Well, that that made everybody who made the ballpark very angry <laughs> because. They sell advertising space inside the ballpark. This guy was getting it right over the... Every time anybody hit a ball out of the ballpark over the center field wall, you'd look at the sign, see? Well, uh, that didn't happen often with the Mets, so it became just academic. But uh, nevertheless, that's Queens. And uh, running right through Queens, I'll have to be personal here, running right through Queens is one of my favorite named streets. It's Utopia Parkway, right? Runs right through Queens. And if there's anything that is far away from a utopia, it is Utopia Parkway. And yet, somehow, that is the spirit of Queens. Uh, endless uh, used car lots, and you drive along Utopia Parkway from pothole to pothole, and uh, the signs keep going by Utopia Parkway. And you know that the Queens spirit is essentially one of total romanticism. It takes a romantic to name a street like that, Utopia Parkway. Either that or take somebody who's totally bananas, which in some ways can often be the same thing. The complete romantic is often just floating about eight feet off the ground. And so as you drive along Utopia Parkway, past Livfrack or Lefrak City, as you go past the endless Chinese chop suey joints and used car lots and take out pizza parlors, you know that you're in the heart of America. This is where it is. the subtle voice of Lindsay Nelson forever and ever saying that Ed Cranepool is now stepping into the box. And shortly thereafter, he says, it's a high pop-up, and the second baseman is circling under it. The spirit of Queens, punctuated by the scream of jets whistling into LaGuardia or Kennedy or any place else, they all seem to go right over Queens, full bore, flaps down, and everything hanging out. That, by the way, was one of the big 747 jumbos. Giant signs lace Queens that implore you to do everything from getting your transmission fixed, where uh, the celebrities go for their transmissions, to taking the next jet flight the hell out of there to Hollywood. (laughs) 
And there's a gigantic bourbon sign there that always gets me. As you just get over from the Midtown Tunnel and enter Queens, there's an enormous sign that tells the Queens residents, tonight, get bombed. Ah, Queens, we salute thee. By the way, I dig Queens. It has a fantastic vitality. It really does. In fact, uh, the vitality of the native can easily be seen. When any car slows up on any one of the major intersections that bisect Queens by the trillions of miles, uh, it's been known that uh, a car could be stripped in less than 30 seconds in Queens. And in fact, while still moving. I know a guy who lost two of his four disc brakes while waiting at a red light. Took an ordinary mechanic six and a half hours to remove them two weeks before to have them relined. But those fantastic Queens residents are men of total know-how. Moving like ghosts in the dark, they strike. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, I, I, I think Queens is a, is a, is a, this is a fascinating place, and, and uh, you can treat it tongue-in-cheek. But, you know, I'll tell you this about Queens. Before we go in any further, Ed, with Queens, you have that uh, American Motors spot in there? Hit the money button, please, if you want. AMC 73, major New York, New Jersey American Motors dealers are coming on strong. Compact with a standard six. The only car that wears Levi's. Blue denim look, orange stitching, copper buttons, even the Levi's tag. Now at a special price that really fits. AMC 73. Coming on strong. See your New York, New Jersey American Motors dealer now. Well, that was nice. It's very loud. <laughs> I like that. Uh, let's see. Uh... Oh, here we have a thing here for General Tire. And uh, I personally would like to say that uh, as a tire cuckoo, uh, you know, anybody who's ever worked in a gas station, uh, you, you, you have to have a... It's like the priesthood in a way. You have to have a certain calling because it's tough, hard, rough, rotten work working in a gas station, especially in the wintertime. And you get to love the smell of new tires. You really do. And I worked in the station, and, and they used to pile up these new tires up to the ceiling, you know, brand beautiful tires. And I would sit next to them and just smell them. Some guys like to smell, you know, super shell. Other guys like the smell of SO. I like the smell of new tires. And the most sexy, beautiful tires of them all are these new Generals. Oh, they're lovely, round and soft and bouncy. And the winter cleat tires, uh, I hate the idea of winter. I... I'm, you know, I'm forced to sell winter cleat tires, and I hate winter. General's Rugged Four Rib Snow Tire. And here's their promise. You go in snow, or General pays the dough. Right? You go in snow, or General pays the toll. That to be straight here. 
Uh, in Maplewood, if you live over in Jersey, you can see Dick or Herb. They're reliable, solid, industrious people. Uh, Herb's the short one over there, the funny shoes. In Maplewood, see Dick or Herb at the World Tire Company, 1725 Springfield Avenue. Yes, sir. And speaking of funny shoes, Gramercy Park Clothes of 64 West 23rd Street in New York says this. Now, it's not me saying it's them. Sixteen advertising men and one mother-in-law have been trying to write commercials for Gramercy Park. Well, when you read this, you can see that they have not succeeded. It says, commercials that will make you stop dead in your tracks. Leave your wife, your home. <laughs> Run like crazy to buy a suit. What a letdown. <laughs> the president called a meeting and said, stop the baloney. Tell everyone that Gramercy Park sells great-looking suits. Well, this goes on. But uh, nevertheless, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, strip it down to its essentials. They sell suits. And they're open from 7 p.m., open to 7 p.m., seven days a week, Saturday to 6 p.m., Sunday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., Gramercy Park, 64 West 23rd Street, third floor, that's where all them gas pipe racks are you hear about, 64 West 23rd Street in New York. All right, Gramercy Park. That's the kind of commercial, you know, you, it says, do not read with a dry eye supposed to cry when you read that one. Well, this, that, that reminds me, this is W.O.R. in New York. You know, there's more weeping and wailing on the 23rd floor of this place. I'll tell you, it just goes on and on. I mean, this, this is, here we are, right in the middle of Manhattan, but this, this station has the heart of Queens. And the general sensitivity of Brooklyn. However, uh, <laughs> well, that's what makes us so lovable here in this neighborhood. Uh, yeah, oh yes, we stri we're, we're, we're a giant Archie Bunker of the airwaves, striding through the killer cycles with 50,000 watts of blatting power, you know. Hey, whoops, there it starts to hum again. Speaking loudly on behalf of mediocrity, hold it. There, there it stopped the hum in there, it's all right. Now, let's get back to Queens, and I will, by God, I'm going to persist. And, uh, no, I, I hang in. It's the sign of a professional. He hangs in in spite of losing, steadily. And he'll hang right in there. And you know, uh, I have a, a fascinating paper here that I'm going to read to you. Now, all you people who live out in Queens are going to be interested in hearing this because I'm directing this at Queens residents. But, you know, you know, Queens is just really a great, vast area of uh, apartment houses, a lot of nice neighborhoods. Just it's a huge, con con really a conglomerate now. And uh, there's all kinds of stuff over there, ballparks, airports, traffic jams, fist fights. It's all there, you know. And uh, it's good, bad. It's, 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 in fact, the city really in itself. Queens has a specific quality. you agree with that? As apart from, say, the Bronx. It's really a distinctive place. Uh, you get into Queens, it has its own flavor. Now, I, it's hard to put that into words. I'm not even going to attempt to. But Queens is a distinct place. And you know that it always was from the beginning, the very beginnings of the city of New York. Even in the very earliest days, that's hard to believe, but it was a curiously different place. And I have a, a, uh, a piece of writing here that is from a... This, this is a, a paper that was, was written and produced. This is a reproduction of it, actually on the 75th anniversary of the founding of the city of New York as, a, as an entity, incorporation as a city. The city was 75 years old when this was written. 
Actually, it was written back in the 1890s, roughly. And, and uh, of course, New York had been around for a long time before that. It was called New Amsterdam. It was called a lot of things. But uh, it became a city uh, early in the 19th century as a, a specific uh, incorporated entity. And Queens, well, I'm, uh, back in the 1890s, here is what a writer wrote about the borough of Queens. Now, this was back in the 1890s, and it's hard to believe it. And yet, yet, uh, oh, wait, I'll find the Queens section here. they got Manhattan. They've got them all here. Manhattan. Here's city maps of the time, the borough of Brooklyn. That's, uh, that's a fascinating section in here. This was even before the Dodgers were even thought of. No, they, they, they were not in existence back in the 1890s, were they? No. No way. I mean, they hadn't heard of Casey Stengel even. I mean, that's hard to believe that he wasn't alive. Well, he was alive, I suppose, but he wasn't playing in Brooklyn. Uh, let's see, the borough of Brooklyn. Here we go. The borough of Queens. Now, this, if, if, you, if you read between the lines and you know anything about Queens, you, 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 you even sense a little of it, even now today, of what he's writing about. This writer said, and this was written in 1890-some, 1891 or 18-something, he said, some of New York's most beautiful suburban towns, you see the word towns, are located in the borough of Queens. The most remote village of the borough is within an hour's streetcar ride of the city hall. Well, not anymore. <laughs> I mean, not, not with what's going on out there on the expressway, the LIE, all those other exciting places. Uh, anyway... It says, this borough is within an hour, and the steadily increasing rapid transit facilities offer inducements to those, listen to this line, who contemplate securing homes of their own, convenient to the city, yet having all the advantages of true country life. A commodious cottage, a generous lawn, abundant shade, fresh air, sunshine, quote, swept by ocean breezes, and low commutation fare are additional allurements to the tired plotter on Manhattan to desert the stuffy flat and get out into God's country. Now, that's fascinating. I mean, they didn't consider Queens at the time a place where people had apartments. In other words, the idea was to get out of your terrible apartment in Manhattan and get into the country, Queens, <laughs> which would, would surprise the average guy living in Queens today. Because Queens is the greatest area of any of the boroughs which enter into the city of New York, and yet the most easterly point of its 79,000 acres, almost double the area of the entire city of Brooklyn, is but 16 miles from the New York City Hall, or about as distant as the northernmost limit of the borough of Manhattan. The northern part of the borough of Queens is, and was always, the most populous and productive. Long Island City is in itself a group of suburban settlements of comparatively recent date. First, the populous Hunter's Point, the starting point of the railroads and trolley lines, reached by ferry from 34th Street. Did they have a ferry from 34th Street? They did then. Uh, then Dutch Kills and Ravenswood, and behind Hallett's Point at Hellgate is Pleasant Astoria, where there is a ferry to 93rd Street in Manhattan, <laughs> behind which are German settlement and Steinway, reaching to the marshy shore of Bowery Bay, where the beach is lined with summer gardens and places of amusement, as is North Beach on Flushing Bay further on. Long Island City includes within its borders North Brother, Rikers, and Berrien's Islands, 
Long Island City came into New York with all the equipment of a city in itself, and behind it were its suburbs, scattered clusters of pleasant cottage homes, here and there an industrial settlement around a factory at, for example, Blissville, Laurel Hill, Lawrenceville, Woodside, that's still around, uh, Winfield, you know where Winfield is? How about Hyatt Heights, Locust Grove, Elmhurst, you know where Elmhurst is, Maspeth, of course, Linden Hill, Fresh Pond, Corona, Queens, of course, and North Peach. In those days, those were all special little towns. Each one was, was, a, was, a, was a country town in itself. Beyond Laurel Hill and Berlin, and on this side of Maspeth, are the new Calvary Cemetery and Mount Zion Cemetery. At Woodside and Mount Pleasant are considerable woods at this time. There were giant woods in Woodside. That's why they call it Woodside. And also, in the vicinity of North Beach, where the old mill on Jackson's Creek built in 1657, is still standing and is now used as a wayside inn. That's been good. Is that still there? I doubt it. Newtown Creek divides this borough from Brooklyn. And farther on, the line runs through the cemetery of the Evergreens at Ridgewood. In Newtown, the fleck of the old township now so-called, are remains of the first settlement of white men who settled on the East Coast three and a half centuries ago. Now, that's interesting. I wonder how many people in Queens know that Queens was the first place that was settled when, uh, when the first settlers came to this part of the East Coast back in the 1600s. It was Queens. It wasn't the, the island of Manhattan, which I always thought where they, they first settled, didn't you? It was actually Queens. Maspeth, the name of the pretty place on the neighboring higher ground, is the old Indian name for this district. Did you know that was an Indian name? It is. At Ridgewood, the boundary line takes a sharp turn from southeast to northeast and beyond the reservoir at Cypress Hill Cemetery, turns southward again at Ensfield Lane and comes out on Jamaica Bay at Old Mill Creek. The railroad and the trolley both cross a wide marsh beyond Corona to reach the beautiful old town, the lovely old town of Flushing. Named, listen, named by the early Dutch settlers after the seasort, seaside resort of Vlissingen in the old country. Uh, here are to be found some handsome buildings in Flushing of the 18th century. The streets are bordered with ancient shade trees. But if one supposes Flushing to be a half-deserted, tumble-down old place, a visit to this neat and smart suburb should furnish a surprise. The gardens and shrubbery about the residents here are of a striking beauty, for the best florists and nursery gardeners are indigenous in the entire area to Flushing, and their nurseries have covered the fertile plain on the south for ages. Flushing has great importance from several points of view. It is undeniably historic and possesses striking specimens of colonial architecture, notably the old Bound House, or Bone House, built in 1661. Socially, no other village of Queensboro is so well-known to society as Flushing on Manhattan Island. <laughs> that was an elegant place in its day. To get to the shore of Flushing Bay or College Point or Whitestone Point, one has to pass now through the very modern villages, the new villages of College Point and Whitestone. These were new places in the 1890s, beyond which is Fort Schuyler. And on the other side of Little Bay, the United States Military Reservation, and the torpedo station at Willits Point. 
the torpedo station. Is that still there? It's been restored, huh? This is a headland of Little Neck Bay, famous for its clams, at the head of which is the fine village of Bayside. Broadway, a beautiful, noble avenue, overarched by old trees, leads up from the town of Flushing to Flushing Heights, now covered with brand-new modern residences. The borderline of Flushing Township is the eastern boundary of Greater New York, which runs southward through the town of Hempstead, taking in all that part which lies west in a straight line drawn from the southeasterly point of the town of Flushing to the middle of the channel between Rockaway Beach and Shelter Island to the Atlantic Ocean. So that's, that's where Queens really is. Gardening and fruit growing in these fertile flats and rolling hills and the taking of oysters and clams in the bays and coves of the North Shore have been for generations the occupations of the industrious and thrifty Queens native population. <laughs> I mean, that sounds great. You know, the guys are catching clams and growing fruit. You just can't imagine you know, the industrious Queens population. Well, you know, the, the other thing about it, when you, when you, when you hear this, I remember, this was written in 1890-some, maybe 1895. And it was true in 1895. Yet it's hard to believe that there are people alive, who may, maybe even some of them listening to the show tonight, who actually were alive and remember that. I mean, who remember when, when the occupation of the people of Queens was, and I quote again, uh, it's hard to believe it, uh, growing fruit, fruit growing, gardening, and the taking of oysters and clams were the chief occupations of the natives. That's the thing. <laughs> when, you, when you read this, you, you, you get a real perspective on how quickly the fantastic changes have come about in urban life. Now, that's really not that long. You hear this, and it sounds like thousands of years ago. But actually, I'll guarantee you there are people listening to the show tonight who actually remember when that was true. It's hard to believe it. Uh, you know, I, I tell you a funny thing about how, how close we are to history. A couple of, uh, oh, it's only been a couple of months ago, I was out in the Midwest, and I was talking to a guy in Dayton, Ohio, who actually remembered when the Wright brothers had a bicycle shop. <laughs> that's, you know, that's incredible. And all, while we were talking, the, the 747s were going overhead, you know, and that shows you how fantastically time has been telescoped. I mean, you know, there's probably more happened in the past 50 years uh, to change the lives of ordinary walking around people than all of recorded history prior to the turn of the 20th century. Uh, so, you know, if, if you had lived, say, 100 years before, none of this that we live in today would have even been suspected by somebody, say, of 1872, what we live in. Now, 100 years sounds like to us a lot of, a uh, tremendous amount of time, and yet that's only a lifetime and a half ago. That's not that long ago, really, essentially. So Queens, uh, which, which, you know, you go through Queens, it's hard to suspect that just a few years ago, the people of Queens lived on growing fruit. Where did they grow fruit out there? It's hard to, hard to figure out where they even did it. They grew fruit. And uh, the clam industry and the oyster industry was their major um, way of earning a living. That's, that's hard to believe. Now, uh, listen to this now. Jamaica and Hempstead are the old township 
fronting on the south shore, which is bordered by a line of beautiful beaches and sand hills, indented like the north shore with deep inlets enclosed between high promontories but with broad, shallow bays, uh, more than half filled with tide-swept islands, the channels of which have been from earliest times the favorite fishing grounds of New York sportsmen and the dwellers along the shore, while the smaller winding channels... Now listen to this now. Can you imagine in Queens? The channels and the marshy shores and islands are the haunts of millions of waterfowl, attracting gunners from all over the East Coast in their season. You just can't imagine a guy going duck hunting in Queens. I guess they must have done it. The towns stand in the middle of an alluvial plain and were the abodes of prosperous farming communities from the very earliest of colonial times. A large tract on the border of the marshes of Jamaica Bay has been kept in a high state of fertility by artificial means for the cultivation of asparagus, celery, melons, and vegetables for the rich New York City market. Rockaway Beach has been for many years one of the most attractive and most frequented of the sea bathing places near New York. Many people have established elegant summer homes along the shore at, Ar at Arvern, Edgemere, Bayswater, Far Rockaway, Inwood, Lawrence, and Cedarhurst. On the borders of the bay are the similar settlements at Springfield, Valley Stream, and Lindbrook, Woodhaven, and Ozone Park, a new development. Ozone Park was new in those days. <laughs> Jamaica Bay and Hempstead Bay are fed by numerous small streams that take their rise in the hills. The railroad from Brooklyn passes through the towns of Jamaica, Hollis, Floral Park, Garden City, and north of Hempstead proper. From the border of the wide Sedgy Marsh, Hempstead Plain extends four miles back and 15 miles along the shore. This was from colonial times, a common belonging to the town, the, the colonial days. You know, uh, it, it, one more note here. It says, the beaches and shores were also common lands of Jamaica and Hempstead and were regarded as valueless. And now they embrace the most valuable property in the whole borough. In 1867, A.T. Stewart purchased from the town of Hempstead a part of its common on which he established Garden City, was established as a rural home spot for tired New York workers and also as a nucleus of religious and educational influences. Garden City was created by one guy. I didn't know that. A guy named A.T. Stewart. By the way, do you, you remember the famous hotel which was just... Well, didn't they recently knock it down? The Garden City Hotel? That great big wooden place? Isn't that what it was called? The Garden City Hotel? I did a show in there one day. And you know, it was a funny thing about the Garden City Hotel. It was a great rambling... It looked like a great big wooden home up on a, on a hill with a lot of beautiful grass around it. And I think it was just... Uh, wasn't it just demolished here a year or two ago? Well... You know, funny thing about that Garden City Hotel, that was a historic hotel. And I, I, uh, I since I'm a, a flyer and interested in aviation, both historically and as a pilot, one of the most interesting meetings in the history of aviation took place on the porch of the Garden City Hotel, that great big veranda. Uh, Charles Lindbergh stayed at the Garden City Hotel the night that he flew the Atlantic. And uh, he, he didn't sleep. Uh, because he got into into the hotel, he was in the hotel, and of course he was all all uh, planning and tense and everything else. And he stayed up the whole night, uh, walking around in his in room in the hotel, and it had been raining for a couple of days. 
and that's why he was prevented from taking off. He took off from a field not far from there called Roosevelt Field, which is still in existence. Now a big shopping center, actually. But uh, he took off from Roosevelt Field. But on that morning, when he, uh, he, he, was, he was the night before, actually, this curious incident took place, there were two other pilots uh, who were about to fly the Atlantic, who were also staying at the Garden City Hotel. The other plane was uh, was piloted by two people. Lindbergh, of course, was alone. It was thought that it could not never be done by one guy flying alone. Even today, that's a fantastic feat to solo an aircraft over that distance. And so uh, Lindbergh came down and he met this other pilot. They, they they met on that porch, and they were talking about the weather, which looked like it was impossible to take off. It was a totally bad scene day. The rain was coming down. It was foggy. The whole business and. Uh, so Lindbergh talked to these guys. They stood on the porch, and they sat around and, and discussed the whole thing. Very interesting evening, apparently. And uh, Lindbergh, who was somewhat a stoical, uh, silent type, uh, the reporters all gathered up around on that porch and were, were after Lindbergh, and they thought it was just a publicity stunt. They didn't think he actually would do it. And uh, they were all gathered around uh, trying to talk to him, and the other guys were very, uh, very, very publicity-minded, so they were, all get they were getting all the attention. And Lindbergh is just sitting on the porch there listening to him. And he went back into the room. And uh, this was uh, very late at night when all this happened. He went back in the room, and at 3 o'clock in the morning, he, he made his decision. He absolutely says, I'm going. I don't care what the weather is, I'm going to go. And uh, he went down to the field, drove down to this field in this fantastic rain, in a car with two other guys. Uh, one of them was his backer who had provided some of the money you find this interesting? This is all. This all took place in Queens, by the way. This is part of the history of Queens. They, they, the, that is some of the most interesting history. That's why Queens has always been an integral part of the aircraft industry. Uh, the fact that uh, LaGuardia Airport and and uh, Kennedy Airport are there is no coincidence. They, they were always part of the history of aviation from the very earliest days. Queen was, and so when he drove out in this rain and. Uh, they went into the hangar, and his aircraft was there, which incidentally was a Ryan, uh, built in uh, built out on the West Coast in San Diego, to his specifications, and had, had no forward vision whatsoever because he needed all that room for. Yes, there were no the the, the uh, it was closed in the front because he had a huge gas tank up there. The the big problem was fuel. It was a single engine plane, so it really was a flying gas tank, very difficult airplane to fly. And, uh, with, of course, minimal instruments. And he went out, and they dragged the plane out. They, they pulled it out into the, the wet uh, tarmac. It was raining, cloudy, miserable day. And he says, well, I'm going to go. And uh, there were comparatively few press out there because it was not thought that he would do it. And uh, they were all still back at the Garden City Hotel hanging around with these other two guys who were running around, uh, you know, getting their pictures taken. And uh, Lindbergh taxied down to the end of the runway at, uh, at uh, Roosevelt Field, and he gave it full bore. And this, uh, of course, it was wet and rainy, and uh, the plane did not move down the runway the way it should have. In other words, because of the, 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 the mud and everything, he couldn't get the, the lift that he needed. And he barely got it off the ground, just barely clearing a set of high-tension wires. And there's a famous photograph of him just barely clearing those wires. It was thought of, at the time on the field that he was about to crash because just a few days before that, there had been a flaming, fiery crash 
right on that field on the same runway by another flyer who was attempting to fly the Atlantic. So he made it over the wires, and he, he, he just headed immediately out to sea and disappeared at a low altitude under the gray overcast. Fantastic scene. And he flew for uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles. This is a surprise to most of you, probably, if you don't know much about aviation. He flew at an altitude uh, that varied, and he stayed at, at about 100 feet. Now, that's something. Uh, for a number of reasons, uh, he stayed very low, and he and this has made it much more difficult, actually, because surprisingly enough, most people don't realize that the higher you are in an aircraft, the safer you are. Uh, so he flew very low in, into some bad storms, and uh, he even had moments of total hallucination out over the over the Atlantic, where he 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 didn't really know where he was. He was seeing visions. He actually saw islands and things because of the fantastic. He hadn't slept for two days prior to the flight. That added to the fact the flight was 39 and a half hours long to uh, to Paris. But this all is part of the history of Queens. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a very interesting part of Queens history and, and one that isn't talked about much. But uh, within the aviation industry, you know, within the flyers world, there have been several famous fields in that area. Uh, Roosevelt Field was a historical field. And uh, the next time you go to the Roosevelt uh, Field uh, Shopping Center, on this ground uh, is where some of the great flights of the history of aviation took place. Uh, Floyd Bennett Field, for example. Now, how many of you know who Floyd Bennett was? Why Floyd Bennett? Well, Floyd Bennett was a, was a historical character also in aviation, and uh, he worked closely with Admiral Byrd, uh, the famous Arctic explorer. And uh, Floyd Bennett was, uh, was his pilot and also his famous mechanic. Uh, most of his exploration was done in a series of aircraft, which, by the way, originated from Queens again. And Floyd Bennett Field was named after that uh, great uh, aviation pioneer who was a, a mechanic. He was a pilot and uh, uh, almost lost in history, but not the, not the pilot, not the aviation people. And Bennett was one of the great uh, pioneers in a time when it was extremely dangerous to do what he did. Uh, there were also two very famous lady flyers, one of whom, by the way, was killed uh, or lost, better I should say, lost in a, in a, a transatlantic attempt uh, that originated at Roosevelt Field. Uh, she flew from Roosevelt Field up to Old Orchard Beach, Maine, and then took off from Old Orchard Beach. This was because that was closer to Europe, you see. And was never seen again. She was from Queens. Do you know what her name was? Very famous. <laughs> well, I mean, these are all these are all historical people, and, and Queens has a has a fascinating history, and uh, and and the 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 side of it that is related to aviation is rarely talked about, except in aviation magazines. You know, right now there's a great fight going on because it's a historical field. Uh, to preserve Floyd Bennett Field. And unfortunately, uh, you know, there's most pe Americans don't have much of a sense of history. And uh, we don't realize that, that, especially something that's as close to us as airplanes, aviation, that the aircraft literally did change the face of the world. And uh, to do away with Floyd Bennett Field would be kind of tragic. It would be like almost doing away with the shipyards in Genoa where they built... Columbus's ship, you know, to put up a housing project. 
Well, that's what we do. We, we, we literally do things like that. And by the way, Lindbergh's engine, the plane's engine, was built over in Jersey. And prior to his flight, uh, he spent many, many weeks. It was right at, at Teterboro Field, uh, right at uh, what's, what's now Teterboro. Near that field, his, his engine was built there. There was a great engine factory over there where they built the engine for the Ryan. Incidentally, the Ryan was called the NYP, uh, the Ryan NYP model. And the NYP stood New York to Paris. And uh, where is that airplane today? That's correct. It is in the Smithsonian. The actual aircraft is there. And uh, did you know that when Lindbergh came back, he came back to, to Roosevelt Field uh, right after his flight, and he flew his airplane from speaking date to speaking date. He actually flew the uh, Spirit of St. Louis uh, around. Why was it called the Spirit of St. Louis? Well, <laughs> uh, not only was Lindbergh from that area, but uh, he was backed by a group of backers from St. Louis who uh, put, the, put the money behind the plane and, and bought him the aircraft, which cost around $15,000 at the time, which was not a cheap airplane. Uh, for that period, 1927. And, you know, the last time I mentioned, uh, I mentioned this, the last time I mentioned this, uh, you know, this connection of Queens with aviation, I got a letter from an old lady uh, who's probably even listening tonight. And she said that, that she lived, when she was a kid, she lived near Roosevelt Field. And she says she was up in the morning having breakfast, and she'll never forget, she was having breakfast in their kitchen, and her father, and they heard all they heard this engine going, it was raining, and they looked out of the window and they saw this plane take off, just barely clear the wires. They actually saw it. And she says it wasn't until that night when they got the papers that they realized that they had seen Lindbergh take off, just another airplane just taking off. And she says she'll never forget the sight of that airplane just winging off. It was very heavily laden. It just barely made it over the wires. And uh, they were standing around the kitchen eating their cornflakes when uh, <laughs> they observed history. She said, you know, that... <laughs> she says, there must have been a lot of people in Queens who didn't even know they were looking at history. You know, they were going to work and saw an airplane take off, and that was it. But uh, Queens is a fascinating place. And uh, for those of you who don't know much about uh, Archie Bunker's home, I hope that, uh, you know, we've given you a little thing. But it would be a shame if, if they did away with Floyd Bennett Field. Uh, but uh, it looks like that's what's going to happen. Although there is a great fight now going on about it. For those of you who don't know about it, uh, you know, it's a big fight. Uh, whether to make it into a housing project or keep this field as a historical field, which it really is. It's a historical airport. Floyd Bennett. Uh, some of the great history-making flights began at Floyd Bennett Field. You know that, that one of the most famous flights took place over Queens. Uh, the Endurance Flight, which for many years... These guys flew a plane out of Floyd Bennett for 59 straight days without coming down and refueled over Utopia Parkway with a big pipe coming down. <laughs> oh, yeah. Queens, we salute thee. Uh, this is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith and the News. This is the news in detail on the hour from the WOR newsroom. The United States Military Command in Saigon has just reported that four men were killed, 22 injured, and one is missing tonight after a United States fighter bomber crashed on the aircraft carrier USS Midway. The carrier was in the South China Sea at the time of the accident. No report yet on what caused the crash aboard the aircraft carrier. 
Robberies again in New York City public schools. Today, three teachers and three parents were in a meeting when a trio of teenagers entered public school 125 in Forest Hills, Queens, and stole a total of $270 in cash, a watch, and a ring. Police said that no weapons were used by the thieves, who then fled out into the street. The robbery was in the school at 102nd Street and 65th Avenue. At about the same time in the Bronx, an elementary school teacher at PS26 on Burnside Avenue was robbed of $80 by one unarmed man. Police said the robber walked into her classroom and threatened to harm the students if she tried to follow him as he escaped. A group of black parents has promised still another attempt tomorrow to enroll their children in Brooklyn's Junior High School 211. Today, city school chancellor Dr. Harvey Scribner again told the parents that it would be to the students' best interest if they attended a predominantly white junior high school 68, and Scribner refused to allow the 31 black pupils to enroll at 211. The students are still without a school, as some white parents don't want 211's racial balance tipped to predominantly black, and the black parents don't want to send their children to a mostly white school, saying that they fear for their children's safety. Reporter Peter Bridge is on the freedom side of the jail bars tonight after having served 21 days in the Essex County, New Jersey jail. Bridge had been sent to prison for refusing to answer five questions from an Essex County grand jury about a story he wrote in the now-dunked Newark Evening News on alleged bribery.